Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. It's actually a Wednesday if you're talking about days in the game week because it's a short week for the Trojans. Uh, of course, losing to BYU 30-27 in overtime. No time to salt because you got Utah, the Pac-12 preseason favorite coming to the Coliseum on a Friday night. You have the the big noon show for Fox. I think that's what they call it with, you know, you might have heard of Matt Leinert's coming to town. Oh, and Reggie Bush is going to be there at the Coliseum. Oh, and Urban Meyer. So this is a big game on Friday. We'll talk about that. The quick turnaround in the short week of prep for the squad. Uh, we're going to take your questions and comments, of course, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you could call us or text us at 424 254 Nine one four one. We got Keely Yore in studio. She's gonna be breaking it down. She was at practice yesterday. What's up, Keely? Hello. I'm glad to be here. You happy? Uh, I'm tired, but I'm happy. Sure. It's uh yeah. It's a long it's a long weekend. We got Dan Weber on the line. How are you, Dan? Doing good. I guess it's good to get the no you know no days off. Just go right to Friday and uh, see what the rest of the season's gonna look like. Uh, might as well get it over with right away. Yeah, this is uh, so it's an accelerated week. So what I was talking about is that we you know we do this show normally on Tuesdays and we'll head to practice afterwards. But they actually had practice yesterday because they had to move everything up for the Friday game. And both Keely, Dan, you guys were there. There was a Brew McCoy sighting. Uh, he's not going to play. Don't worry about that. Um, what? Maybe Keely, get your takes first, and then we'll we'll jump. In. We have so many questions about the game. We have tons and tons of questions. We'll jump into that. But Keely, maybe get your takes uh, real quick first. Well, it was a. Uh... Clay Hilton said he was happy that the team came out with a great attitude. I know Dan and I talked about it on instant analysis. Uh, everyone was pretty happy, pepping their step, even though they're coming off an overtime loss. Um, talking to the coaches was interesting. It seemed like they were pretty happy with how things went against BYU, except for some minor things that led to the loss, which was a little baffling to Dan and I, but uh, we got to finally talk to Graham Harrell. Didn't get to talk to him after the game on Saturday, so we talked more about his play calling, and he confirmed that he did call all the plays, etc. But uh, it's just interesting to hear each position coach kind of defend what happened at BYU. Yeah. Dan, you agree, I'm sure? Yeah, I mean, I think Keely got the right word. A week ago, I wrote about all the happy talk after the Stanford game. I mean, you know, we're not used to this. Happy, happy, happy talk. Uh, after the loss to BYU, more happy talk. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, uh, Tim Drevno a week ago was just singing the praises of his offensive line and how athletic they were and how he told you these guys can really play and blah, 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 blah. So I asked him, I said, a week ago you said, you know, are you still have that same feeling about your offensive line? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, was, you know, we did this and we did that. And I said, but you only gave 3.8 yards a carry, and they were giving up six. I said, well, yeah, you like to be over four, but, you know. I mean, it's just everybody was happy. I'll say this. This is a really upbeat crew, um, uh, except for the fans. I mean, the, the difference between the USC coaches talking about that game 
and the USC fans talking about that game. I mean, it's like they're on two different planets. I mean, there <laughs> is no, there's no common ground at all at this point. So, yeah. so we're in an interesting week because they they're really talking past one another. Well, we'll see. Um, it's uh, yeah. There's really just no time now. It's it's just put up or shut up. Um, real quick, Dan, the conference call on Sunday. We talked about this on the Tunnel Vision show. And I, I sensed this when uh, during the, the uh, Saturday post-game uh, press conference where Clay Helton talked about he said this team is special. And I, like just it reminded me of 2016 after Utah. And then he took it to the next level and actually said that. And we talk, I talked with Keeley about this before. There's a big, big difference. I mean, the biggest difference being you had Sam Darnold and you just put him in and you saw like this kid's going to be awesome. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that was the meat of the schedule was over. You'd already played Utah and Stanford, and you already played Alabama. That Alabama. You, you you have that coming up next. So for him to go there into that, I just kind of bothered me on the Sunday call, Dan, where you're like, yeah, that, you're just setting yourself up for failure because there's no way you're going to go out of these next three games undefeated. I mean, I guess there's a chance, but very unlikely you beat Utah, Washington on the road, and Notre Dame on the road, which is basically what you did after that Utah game when he made that statement. And to his credit, they won nine games in a row after that, but this seems like a, such a different scenario. Yeah, I guess that's the danger of having a totally quiet plane on the way back uh, with nobody talking to anybody because that, that's when Clay said he, he figured out that this was just you know kind of like 2016, oh, minus Sam Darnold. And you think, and as you point out, a completely different uh, schedule arrangement. So, uh, a good point. Uh, I, I don't see the comparison. I mean, you can hope that that happens, and you can say, boy, in the best case scenario, maybe that'll happen. Let's uh, let's dream big. But uh, uh, I don't think the evidence is there uh, to support that. No, I mean, you know, it's just not there. Well, we got to unpack some stuff. There's some angry fans that we have. Uh, no less than seven voicemails and a lot of emails and texts. Before we jump into all that, I just want to thank Trader Joe's. They've been great to us. It's a Friday game, so the tailgating situation might be a little bit different, but make sure you head over to the University Village. Check out Trader Joe's. They got lots of cool snacks. I just went. I was there last night. Uh, picked up the little mini uh, carrot cakes. So they got the – and the frosting's good on them, but you oh, got to wow. have good frosting on the of carrot course. cakes. Yeah, so they're like little cupcakes, but they're carrot cakes. I like those. I picked up more of my – uh, granola that I like and, and have that for breakfast. The the banana yogurt from Trader Joe's I like a lot. So I get that. Mix some of that in with the bananas and the um, and, and the, the granola. It's all good stuff. But yeah, go over to Trader Joe's. Pick up what you need for the uh, tailgate on Friday. Hopefully you make it out to the Coliseum. They've been awesome, awesome to us over the last couple of years. So love supporting them. And it's not not hard because we all love we all love going to Trader Joe's. So it's true. I, I, I had my USC bag there last night, you know, at the Trader Joe's. Very so, nice. Yeah. So it's a little different after a loss. People like look at you funny, but you know, whatever, what are you going to do? Um, well, Keely, I guess we have to jump. I mean, just the, we don't want to really talk about the game because there's so many questions. We're going to pretty much touch on everything I would think. Yeah, pretty much. So just jump into questions. I can't. Yeah. We, do you want to do voicemail first? Do you want to do email first? Let's what do a voicemail first. You want to do a voicemail? Sure. Okay. I think this one's, uh, well, let's go with a, a nice happy one. Here we go. JD from DC with a question for, uh, Dan Weber. Dan, um, the more I think about last week's game, uh, the deeper a hole I think 
USC is in, which I don't think fans quite have thought this through yet, even if Helton loses the next two games, there really is no replacement short of offering Urban Meyer the moon and getting him in there right away. I mean, uh, I suppose Harrell is an option, but he's an unproven head coach with a mediocre record. And uh, that's only if Clay really took over the play calling the second half. You know, if Harrell was, uh, has his fingers on that debacle in the second half and overtime, he's not the guy you want to turn the reins over to. Uh, you know, so what are your options? Uh, an 80-year-old John Robinson, an 82-year-old Norm Chow, uh, Yogi Roth, uh, OJ? I mean, you know, this is really desperate. Uh, I, I think the the pain has only just begun. So JD's a half glass, uh, you know, <laughs> half full glass dude or whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, JD, I, I would probably uh, rule out OJ. I, just a you know, <laughs> just a guess. He's probably not on on the list, and and maybe nobody else that you had on the list. I mean, it is possible. I mean, people have looked at the staff and said if something has to happen. And, and let's say you really decided, you know, you had to make some serious, serious changes from last year. That was the thing that Lynn Swan got right, and they didn't. And if you said, you know, it's going to be really tough to uh, to keep Clay, and, and maybe the coordinators who, you know, aren't especially uh, active in recruiting and things like that, and he made that switch. If you did that, you have a, uh, a head coach from last year who works really well with with Graham named Mike Jinks, who, who had uh, been a head coach at Bowling Green for uh, parts of three years. Anyway, uh, you have uh, Joe DeForest, outside linebackers coach, who really only has a couple of players to coach. And his specialty, his whole college career, has been uh, special teams. So, uh, And then you have a former Dallas Cowboys head coach, Dave Campo, who was a defensive specialist, who's an analyst for this team. And if you had to say, you know, like they did when Ed Orgeron became uh, head coach and he brought back, uh, gosh, what can I think of his name? The fellow from, uh, from Louisiana who uh, was a long time. Pete NFL. Jenkins. Uh, Pete Jenkins. Yes. Pete Jenkins. And he came in and, and took Ed's, Ed's place. You have a, a Dave Campo. So people have, have, you know, this isn't my thinking. This is people are thinking about. Well, what what if you know the worst scenario happens, and you decide you you've got to make some changes? It's probably manageable with this staff this year if you had to go to the you know the, the worst lengths that you could imagine. Uh, you could probably still get through the rest of this year, I would think, without having to bring somebody in uh, from the outside. But you know. <laughs> It's a long way to that, you know, and who knows? This is the problem, though, with going week to week. If you say, well, maybe that was okay, and then I don't think you can run a USC football program with, uh, you know, the importance, the impact, uh, you know, $120 million athletic budget riding on it, all of that based on how did you do last week or what are you going to do next week. I just I don't know that that works. I just think you need kind of long-term uh, certainty and answers. And this whole, you know, that was so bad, we got to change. No, I, I just don't think you can do that. You got to, you know, now how does that play out this year? Does USC 
find itself clearly would be the only team in the history of college football that let three had to let three coaches go during the season in eight in an eight year time span. I mean, that's just that's almost impossible. I mean, nobody does that. And USC would have done it three times. It's uh, it's uh, it's a difficult spot uh, for everybody. Yeah. You so want, we, yeah, let's do some uh, emails, I guess, or texts or whatever we, we got. We got a text from Paul and Minifee. He says, if Greg Johnson is out, and Clay Elton said on Monday that he had uh, Greg is going through concussion protocol, so that's TBD right now. And then he says, and Williams keeps getting beat deep. Can they move one of the three young corners to nickel, OG, ITS, or steal? Paul and Minifee. I feel bad. Like Chase, I mean, Chase had good coverage on that touchdown. You he, know, like yeah. it was just a perfect throw. You know, we, yeah. like, Taylor Mays talked about that on the uh, Tunnel Vision. What do you yeah. think, Dan? He didn't quite locate the ball, but he was in position. I don't think there's any question about that. That's a little technique kind of a thing, and I know they work on them to locate the ball to get their eyes right. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, they just have to play their way. I don't know that there's a shortcut for young guys, uh, no matter what their talent is. You just have to play your way, play your way uh, into, you know, getting up to speed. And I think, I think they've all got a chance. I don't think there's any question. Uh, but uh, the whole defense has to start going together a little better. I mean, it would surely help them if you could get more pressure on the quarterback. Um, but we haven't seen that uh, quite as much. Uh, and obviously, there was a problem. I mean, you had guys uh, breaking free in terms of pressure. and You know, on a BYU lineman would grab them by the shoulder pads or by their neck or, you know, by their jersey. In front of the officials, and nobody would call anything. And I know it, it's probably not good form for USC people to mention that um, in a game that shouldn't have been that close. But but that did impair some of the uh, ability to get pressure on the quarterback because those guys weren't hesitant to grab USC defenders and just, and just pull them down. And, you know, it happens on the road with somebody else's officials calling the game. Uh, there are some things they just don't see. Um, but, but I think, I think the secondary is not, is not the issue. We got a text from Marcel in the Inland Empire who says, I know Keeley and others will say that the loss was on Clay Helton, but I believe the loss was due to poor officiating. Oh, well, (laughs) that's a little part of it. Although I think they actually, uh, I was surprised that they uh, uh, they came down with the right call and kind of overruled. We don't. We weren't even sure what the heck they called on the Michael Pittman touchdown, but they kind of got that right. Yeah, that that was uh, so, at least a weird one. That was like, okay, if you have a long discussion, that one seems to be okay. Like your toes down, the toes, you know, toe touches the grass. That shouldn't be a long discussion. But you know. yeah. But I, I don't even know what they called. They they weren't even sure what they called. It looked like. I mean. The, the, so when they give you one like that on the road, you got to probably say, "Oh, that's something." Uh, the wedge call on the on the kickoff, I don't know, you know, two yards within two yards of one another and all that. I thought that was that was pretty shaky, uh, to be honest. Uh, 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 the pass interference on on Michael Pittman was that ought to be a disqualifier. Who, whoever made that call should never be allowed to call uh, another college football game. No, that's just embarrassing. Uh, Let's see. What were the other? Uh, just all the missed holds. There, there are an awful lot of those. Yeah, uh, there was a bunch of holds. Uh, that even the the interception at the end, they reviewed it. And there's some people on the boards that are saying that 
it definitely hit the ground. I mean, that that was just a close one. If they called it incomplete, they probably would have kept it incomplete. But that was another one that was right. kind of questionable. What about the yeah, one you where really that... couldn't see that. I mean, that happened right directly where I was standing. I had no idea. There was just so much. I will say this. They called it, USC called that a spacing play. If they thought there was any space in that play, <laughs> there wasn't any space at all. I yeah. mean, come on. There were too many people. That was like, you know, that uh, when they talk about uh, the fight in the phone booth, that looked like a fight in the phone booth, you know, with five or six guys. And uh, there wasn't a room to see what happened. I mean, there just wasn't. But, uh, but yeah, the official didn't help. But, you know, I just think you've got to take that for granted almost going on the road if you don't take your officials with you. Now, uh, maybe you do what Arizona State did. They took Pac-12 officials. They got the, they got the call at the end. They ran out of, you know, East Lansing with a win. Now, the Pac-12 had to come back Sunday and say, yeah, we're sorry we screwed up on that last play. Uh, and, and you know, Michigan State should have gotten another play and probably would have tied the game and would have gone into overtime. But uh, but if you don't take your officials, that's what you're, you're dealing with. Yeah. From my point of view on the field, there were really bad holds from uh, BYU's offensive line that were just not called all game. So, but yeah. I'm going to go to what... And they didn't even try to, they didn't even try to hide it. They just reached out and grabbed guys and, and tried to throw them down. I mean, it wasn't even like, you know, we're trying to act like we're keeping our arms in or whatever. No, they're just grabbing people. And I think Drake Jackson, the one time, gets grabbed by the, gets, uh, the neck, uh, you know, the jersey uh, right at the neck and the shoulder pads. And just and the, the official's about seven or eight yards away looking right at the play. Doesn't call it. I mean, come on. Yeah. So while that was bad, I'm going to go to what Gerard Martinez tweeted. He said USC is talented enough that they shouldn't, the game shouldn't come down to a missed call or whatnot. They should be above that and and playing to a higher standard where it's not dependent on the officiating. Um, Gerard is exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, let's go to another email. This is from Lloyd Caddy. He says it looks like a good defensive coordinator can figure out a USC offense. It. It looked like Fresno State figured it out in the second half, and BYU figured it out pretty much after the first drive. The biggest problem is, of course, Helton, but the, another problem is the adjustment or lack thereof on both defense and offense. A good defense is going to figure out SC's, SC's simple offense, and what happened with the air raid over 40 running plays? Really? Lloyd Caddy. Well, they hit, you have to run the ball if they're going to drop eight. You just have to run it better. That's all. I mean, if, if, if you run it better you block it up front better. Uh, if you hit it in there better, they can't keep dropping eight or you just, you just keep the ball and you, you, you know, they go sit down after you score. Uh, so that, that's the problem. I wouldn't characterize this game as saying that's USC's offense. It's not going to work or that's USC's offense. They're going to, uh, you know, be able to diagnose it or whatever. Well, they executed on the first drive and that was the exact, and I, I believe Graham on this, that BYU didn't change a thing in their defense for the rest of the game. They were doing in the first drive what they did the rest of the game. They just did it better, and USC did it worse. But it was the USC had no trouble executing uh, on the first drive. But they, uh, uh, you know, after uh, uh, Keaton throws that first interception, then the second, they got a little gun shy. There's no question. So I don't think that was exactly the USC offense. I don't think it was exactly the air raid. Although we know that, uh, you know, the air raid was like 52% passing and 48% running, I guess, by uh, 
uh, last year with Graham's because they had pretty decent running backs and people were all, always trying to you know, stay, uh, stop the pass. So uh, USC just has to execute better. I mean, they just have to do it right. And uh, Keaton was an 18-year-old freshman playing like he had played in the two scrimmages in the Coliseum and uh, not like he had played against Stanford. I mean, the Stanford game is so off the charts the thought that an 18 year old freshman against how bad Stanford is, who knows? But if, if the two balls that hit people's in the people in the hands are caught, he's 30 of 33. I keep telling people that 30 of 33, he could have been in the Stanford game. That's impossible. Nobody goes 30 of 33. An 18 year old freshman. That's crazy. Will he ever equal that? I don't know. Kaylee said, Oh yeah. I, well, we were talking about this yesterday, and you said, oh, 30 of 33. I, I, let me say this. I doubt he'll ever go 30 of 33, however long he lives and however long he plays quarterback. My yeah. guess is he's not going there. I was Nobody's just, going there. I'm just hedging. I'm hedging. I don't want us to say absolute so then Keaton comes out and, and does something crazy. You Ke- know? Keely's a hater, apparently. <laughs> no, um, false. <laughs> All right, we got a voicemail. 30 33 is so spectacularly crazy. I mean, it, it, that's kind of a bad deal for this kid. He's always going to be measured against how he did against Stanford. Yeah, the bar I mean, was too ridiculous. high. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is a this voicemail has something to do with quarterbacks. I'll play it for you. Here you go. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Don Cohen from NYC, the East Coast fight over from East Coast. Hey, man, I just think uh, today was a good game. Uh, they fought well. But I think this quarterback, you know, he 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 showed that he's a he's a, he's a freshman. It was tough one on the road. He can't have to be fixed on the road. That's just what it is. And I think before we're quick to kind of crown him, he did have a good game. Crown him, you know, you got to kind of understand that. You know, he, in order to be a great quarterback, you got to win on the road. So that was kind of what happened with him. But you know, we'll, I think we'll be fine. Uh, hopefully, it'll be Utah. Uh, get things back on the road. But uh, fight on for East Coast. You guys do a great job with your show. And uh, keep it going. Thanks, guys. Bye. That's great. That's great. We don't always hear a lot of uh, college football talk from NYC. So uh, the thing I would have liked to have seen more with Keaton was that ability uh, to to move out of the pocket a little bit and have a little bit uh, that that eyes downfield where he's moving and get a chance to maybe move the defenders, which he did against Stanford. Now, he played more man, obviously, but I thought he did a really good job putting pressure on the on the defense and if, if they're going to drop eight you kind of need to not throw the ball too early and you kind of really need to go through all your reads and you got to be comfortable back there and i know it's difficult playing on the road but if they're only rushing eight or rushing three excuse me you ought to be able to move around a little bit and uh and try to find those scenes uh, in in the drop eight defense, yeah, but, uh, he did on the uh, like the Chrome and Hook one that he did. He ran out of the pocket, ran to his left, right. and then fouled him down there. But they, yeah, if you, more of those where you take the top off the defense, then you might back them off a little bit. But they they dropped eight, but they were all in like these intermediate routes that USC was trying to run and just clogged it, you know. And he he would drop back, and then he he throw the ball, and it basically was a classic, you know, just drop back, uh, you know, passing attack. And I, I that didn't seem to be the way to go against that defense. You're right. He was trying to throw the, all those intermediate, you know, things and, and everything was clogged. I mean, it was just, it just wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of space, but I think if you're moving around uh, and, and moving towards the line of scrimmage, um, it gives you a chance uh, 
to give your receivers a chance to find that open space and then you can hit them. And we didn't see almost any of that. And uh, I thought that was a big, big difference in, in Keaton's performance. Jeff, the math teacher, sent us a email that said, what happened to Amon Ross St. Brown? One target? Fight on, Jeff, the math teacher. We still don't know. Uh, I think he was still catching balls on the jug machine when, when we all vacated the field. Or I, I didn't see what he – we were all looking to, to talk to him, and somehow he got out of there. Did you see uh, he how le- he got out of there yesterday? He left, during, he left during Harold's scrum. Okay, so you he was able to – You can see him leaving the back. Time it. Okay, you can see him. He didn't want to talk about it. So I, I, don't, I don't think we know. I really don't think we know. I mean – it wasn't like, you know, Michael Pittman and uh, Tyler uh, uh, shared 16 receptions for 160 yards. So, you know, they were pretty much up to up to speed. Uh, and, and I I guess they thought that all the things that Amon Ra does best by finding, uh, you know, seams underneath or, uh, you know, just, just finding a place in between somebody, that there weren't those places. So, um, you know, instead of trying to find him they uh they ran the ball instead but uh but that i i don't know that you can have an offense that you can let another team just dictate i mean he might be usc's best receiver and how you let another team kind of dictate that you have to kind of sit your best receiver out that, that just doesn't make a lot of sense there have to be ways that they could could get the ball to Amon Ra, and that that was a that was a real failing i think saturday yeah, you got to figure that out. That he's someone that needs the ball. So, um, well, here's a, a voicemail. Someone that's still positive on this USC offense. So I'll play it for you, Dan. Hi, this is Al from uh, Pennsylvania. I love the offense. I love love the offense. Please don't change the offense when you get a new coach. Mm-hmm. I just wish um, Elton could work out, but his his sideline demeanor he just doesn't seem to. Uh, uh, he doesn't seem to uh, encourage players. I don't think people really want to play for him that much, although he recruits well enough, I guess. But uh, I don't want Urban Meyer either because he's going to stay there for a couple of years and leave, and the program's going to be in disarray probably again. Also, if our quarterback would have ran just a few times, we would have won the game. It's a great offense. The defense isn't bad. Uh, the defensive end and some of the linebackers aren't that good, I don't think. The defensive backs are very good. The running backs are very good. Just give the ball to 30 a few more times and let the quarterback run just a few more times, and we're undefeated and we have a lot better team than what we showed yesterday. Fight on, and I love this show, and please don't stop. This is the greatest thing for me been living out here now for the last 10 years. This is my pipeline to USC. So, uh, you know, fight on. Wow, we're, uh, it's great to hear from uh, Pennsylvania, too. New York City and Pennsylvania and D.C., I guess, all three. And uh, so we're getting some East Coast uh, East Coast people. Uh, I guess there's 1230 games uh, help out uh, for the for the East Coast viewers. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the offense, too, Al. I think uh, – you know, I I don't know what would happen if you get an Urban Meyer. I will say this though: if Urban Meyer would be the choice, or if that happens, or you know, everybody. I mean, and this is the I think the, the difficult thing for USC right now is what Al said: it's when 
it happens. He didn't say if it happens, it's just when. And uh, uh, I don't think Urban Meyer is, is going anywhere else. If he comes to USC or any of the kind of coaches you hear named, I don't think the plan is to go somewhere else. USC shouldn't ever be a stepping stone. And I guarantee you, if an Urban Meyer uh, comes here, he's not looking at it as a stepping stone to his next job. Uh, a guy like Urban Meyer at USC, there's probably not going to be a better a better job situation. So, uh, so hopefully that's, you know, how, however things develop. Uh, I would say probably that's not what, what's going to happen. If, uh, if an Urban Meyer comes there, he's coming to, for history, he's coming to be the only coach to win national championships at three different schools. He's coming, you know, because of the opportunity at USC, you know, the opportunity to dominate the Pac-12 and get in the college football playoffs every year. I mean, they're, for that kind of a coach, um, that's what USC is. So uh, I wouldn't worry about a guy like that moving on if if he comes. But uh, but as Al said, it's when, not if. So that's uh, that uh, that makes things more a little more difficult in this current year for this current staff. Yeah. Because that's the thought that's out there. It's when, not if. That was the the thought for Lynn Swan too. There yeah. wasn't a sense of if it's going to happen. It was just a matter of when. And it happened on a Monday morning when people maybe weren't expecting it. But it was a when question. Uh, if that's uh, the question for USC, that really makes things difficult, I think, right now. I think some USC fans always had the if, not when. But to me, if you lose to like Utah, that wouldn't have been, you know, okay, it's it's over. But it Losing to BYU to me is like the nail. Like that's, you can't, you couldn't lose to Fresno State. You couldn't lose to BYU. So it, for me, anything short of winning all of your games, like doing a 2016, even though you're not starting off one and three, I, I kind of think now it's an if, not when. But I think the, the BYU loss is significant because you lost to BYU. It wasn't like, you know, if you if you ended up four and two and you had lost to like Notre Dame and Utah, for example, and beat like Washington on the road and beat the rest of the teams. It's like, okay, that's, that's not bad. You know, the schedule's tough, but losing to BYU to me is inexcusable. So that, that's sort of like, that's too much. Like last year, you were not going to get the benefit of the doubt. So that's why I feel like if people are feeling it's an, if not when that's to me, the reason why. Yeah. Cause you had to come out of the gate after five and seven, you had to come out of the gate and win every game you, you can win to get it started. Knowing what's coming in the schedule. What you didn't factor in is that now Cal and Arizona State look pretty darn good, and Colorado didn't, hasn't been terrible, and those are road games. And if you don't beat Brigham Young on the road, what do you do at, you know, at Cal? I mean, that changes the whole look about people thinking at the Cal game or the Arizona State game or the, even the Colorado game. How do you handle those? Um, that was a and, – and just for, I think for Clay himself with the way he's done on the road, that was really an important game. That was a confidence builder that you can go in there and not have things go wrong in front of, uh, you know, uh, opposing crowds. And they did not prove that. They didn't give themselves the kind of, I mean, if you lose to BYU on the road, who else on this schedule do you beat on the road if that's your road performance? Uh, that makes it a much more difficult thing looking down the road. 
Yeah, without a doubt. In a similar vein, we had an email from Jared uh, Eckenweiler who said, I've been lying low since the end of last season trying to draw some conclusions on where USC football is at and and what the course of action should be for the future. The thing that stands out to me more than anything about the BYU game is how passive the team looks and plays. They just don't look excited to hit, to be physical, and to play ball. I could see in the faces of the players in postgame that they know it's finished, that they had to be 3-0 and at this point of the season, and they came up short. After, after nine months of sitting back and watching things unfold, I'm going to predict that in a month, USC will be 2-4 and four and Clay Helton will be terminated by a reluctant Carol Folt on Sunday, October 13th, the day after the Notre Dame game. I predict this will happen more to inject life into the current team than to jumpstart the coaching search. So my question for Dan Keeley and Ryan is if, is if the team is 2-4, and four, can Helton still have any hope to save his job? Jared. No. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... Yeah. Uh, no, Absolutely I mean, that's not, really no. The, the difficult, no. That's, uh, yeah, and that's the thing that makes uh, the third in-season uh, termination almost as much as everybody at USC... We want to avoid that. I don't. I don't know how they can. I mean, just because the the recruiting will be impossible. Um, you know, so, uh, and yet you're doing this without an AD. So who's where's the plan coming from as to all these scenarios? These are some difficult scenarios uh, going forward. I mean, really. And I think you had a really. I think you used a very good word in talking about USC Saturday at Brigham Young. Passive. They did not look like uh, the BYU kids. The BYU kids couldn't wait to get out on the field, and they were excited, and they were bouncing around and jumping around. It just wasn't happening for the USC kids. It just wasn't there. That that excitement, that uh, you know, just can't wait to get out and make and play this game. It wasn't there from the the time they hit the field to the time they left. I mean, it just uh, it was missing, uh, and. That is not how you go on the road. You, you can't be passive on the road. Since we're on the theme of Clay Hilton and his job, uh, let's go to a text from Sir Eric of Troy. He said, this message is for Dan Weber and the panel. What would be wrong with firing Clay Hilton now and including an interview question of what would be your strategy for hiring a new head football coach to the AD screening process? And once that person is hired, they will automatically know their first order of business is to hire said head coach, as stated in the interview. I ask because I'm more than ready to see the Clay Helton substitute teacher experiment brought to a screeching halt. I can simply not stomach another press conference where he says the stupidest things I have ever heard from a losing coach. Things like, this team was built for this. Well, I fully expect this team is going to get what he built for in the next three games. And then he said, Keely, it was nice to see you in Utah. I did see Sir Eric Troy in Utah oh, nice. multiple times, actually. And he said, please keep up the good work, both off and on the show. Your former host for the day, Sir Eric of Troy. Real, real quick, uh, Sir Eric of Troy, uh-huh. you don't need to, like, fire the head coach now to to inform the AD, the new AD, that that's what his job is going to be. It's kind of assumed. He knows that's what his job <laughs> is going to be. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't think that's going to, like, oh, I'm going to come in to be the water polo guy? No, like, it's for football. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I just think timing is, without an AD, timing is just almost impossible. I mean, who's, I mean this is, and what happens when you have, you know, 26 years of, of non-professional athletic directors at a big, 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 big time program, and then you have three, uh, you know, ex-quarterbacks who really maybe don't see the whole game, and, uh, 
here you are. I mean, in, in as difficult a predicament as, as you could possibly be in. And yet, that doesn't mean they can't win Friday. You know. And then, what does that do? You know, can they go on a, you know, on a tear and, and go to Washington? I'm not that impressed with Washington, but you know, I'm sure Washington's as good as BYU. And they showed up at BYU not ready to play. Uh, so, you know. I don't know where where this all leaves them in terms of the timing. Uh, it's almost, you know, it's just it's tough. Who, it's who, a tough situation. Who, yeah. Who's putting together a plan? I mean, Ryan could put together a plan. I could. Kelly could. But none of us are the AD, and they don't have one. And you got a new president who's got a bunch of other fires to put out. Um, it's, uh, you know. And I, I know we're not giving any um, thought to the interim AD, Dave Roberts, and there's probably a good reason why we're not mentioning his name. Well, speaking of uh, which, and, sorry to cut you off, Dave, but we actually got a question okay. about him. Uh, we got an email from John in Oakland who says, my question is, if the new AD is not in place by the end of the season, do you think that the interim AD, Dave Roberts, has the authority to fire Helton and start the search for a replacement head coach? I mean, I think it wouldn't come from him. No, he it would he might do it, but somebody'd have to tell him to do it. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think. I just don't. I mean, if he's the messenger, you know, I mean, then that's fine. But uh, uh, he he's not going to. That will not be a decision that he's going to make uh, for sure. He's he's he is what he is. He's just the interim guy um, who. Uh, you know, he was around for some of the things that didn't go well and uh, it always didn't seem like he was around that much. And the one issue that he had to deal with, that whole NCA thing, they didn't ever seem to be to have a really good thought out way of doing that. Uh, and so, you know, I think he was he was uh, put in the, in place because they didn't think there was anybody in the athletic department that they wanted to put in place. I think that was kind of the message that we're getting there. But, uh, but no, somebody else would have to make that decision and he might carry it out if he's still around. Do you want to do a voicemail? Sure. We have, okay. Some voicemails are not exactly, we had some positive ones. There's some ones that aren't exactly uh, excited about, USC's head coach right now, so we'll we'll play one of them. Here you go. Hi, this is Ray in Florida. I just looked at the tape of Clay's presser on Monday. You know, Clay is like a politician who's looking at a black wall and is going to convince you that it's white. And he just said the offensive line played a good game on Saturday. The quarterback spent the day running around, and the and, and he thought 171 yards was was great for rushing, uh, considering that they were had eight people in coverage all day long. They should have had 350 yards. I just don't understand this. What is this guy smoking? When are we going to get rid of Clay Helton? Thanks, guys. You do a great job, Dan. I love your column. So not mincing hey, words. We got We have to get more uh, callers from the East Coast. Uh, East Coast time zone, man. Florida too. We uh, that's uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, I think the problem. For example, uh, Utah Zach Moss uh, played Brigham Young in the first game, and he ran for 187 yards. 
by himself, all by himself. He got 187. So 170, uh, that offends me. I will say this a little bit when, when you hear it from a number of coaches and players that, that, that they did a good job on the ground. No, they didn't. And when they really needed to do a good job the first two plays of overtime, they really didn't do a good job. They lost the yard on the first play. So don't tell me that. And when everybody's telling you, do you just think, do you really believe that? Are you just telling me because you think it sounds like a positive thing you can talk about? Because it doesn't make me think any positive thoughts about you because it makes me think 3.8 yards a carry? That's terrible. Uh, against a team with, that's dropping eight guys back? I mean, don't tell me that stuff. But uh, as Keeley said, the party line was the party line. We heard it from everybody. And what I don't mm. understand is, like, I get pumping up your team and, and believing in your team, but it by, nef- by definition, it's not good enough if you lose the game. Like, your performance yeah. was not good if you lost. Like, I don't understand the, the mental hurdle they jumped to make that okay. Because clearly it wasn't good enough because you didn't get the W. So yeah, and it, I think the politician, uh, you know, analogy is good too because it's sort of like last year when they were saying, "Oh, we lost some close games," and it was a position. You know, said the same thing. You know, one play we change, and but those are two inferior teams. Like you're not like man, if you, Notre Dame, man, we had them. We had one play away. It's like okay, I'll, I'll buy it. Like, yeah, I'm not buying it against a three, a two and eight, you know, UCLA team or yeah. a, you know a BYU team that was. Yeah, it, it's just not. That's not that doesn't work for me, and I think the fans can see through that. So it's like that's what you want to say, but you shouldn't be saying that. Yeah, and and speaking of which, we actually have an email about that from Clayton, class of 2011. He says, for Dan Keeley and Ryan, which do you think is more important? Only mentioning the positive aspects of the game, even in a loss, in order to keep the confidence of the players up high, or being blatantly honest and airing the problems for the world to know, while possibly risking lowering the confidence of the players. I can't imagine Nick Saban happily mentioning how many rushing yards his team achieved (laughs) in a loss like this. So fair yeah <laughs> well and and this is the problem with the when your yearly theme now is so what now what just the idea that your first reaction is going to be so what the only reason you have that as your theme is you're going to face adversity things are going to go wrong for us so what uh, i don't think that's how you become a great program by by starting off from the premise that things are really going to go bad, but we'll be okay. You know, it's what we do next. No, don't have the situation where you have to say, so what? Avoid that. Like, just be better than so what? If You know, go in, uh, to the Brigham Young and win. And then you don't have to say, so what? Now what? So I just, it's the thought process that, oh my gosh, we're going to have adversity, but... Now what? What do we do to overcome it? No, no. Don't have the adversity. Correct it before. When you talk about correcting things, that's the other that worry. Because it's like we can do it in our minds. We can do it in our meeting rooms. We can you know, show you the film where you really have to do it on the practice field. Because you're going to do it. It's going to be on the field in the game. And you got to compete in practice to be ready for the competition that comes in game. It did not look. Like USC was ready to compete at the level Brigham Young was willing to compete at and ready to compete at. USC did not look like they were prepared to be uh, to handle the level of competitiveness Brigham Young brought to them. And that's what has to happen 
every day in practice. So you don't have to tell them things to make them confident. You, you have them do things in practice that they know they're going to be ready. And they are confident because it's, they do things that make them confident. If they're only confident because you're whispering in their ear, you're a good little boy, you know, you can do it. No, <laughs> that's not how you get it done. Yeah, that's a good point. Or, or you didn't really lose. Here's your participation trophy. Uh, that That's, I mean, they're babying them. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is the coaches have that, that sense that, you know, they're not ready. They yeah. weren't ready. I mean, coming out of the tunnel at BYU, you could tell they, they were not ready to play. And they played out the whole game. To me, it stood out that Clay already had kind of the narrative shaped in his post-game press conference, how he immediately was like, it's an early non-conference game. You know, you could already hear the spinning. And I, I don't think that does it him mm-hmm. any favors. And, and I said this last year, too, with like guys like T. Martin and Clay. Like, I, it doesn't help the fan base when they have comments that are like, it's okay, we'll do better, et cetera, et cetera. If they came out and said, this is unacceptable, USC teams do not lose to a BYU team. Like, they have moved the goalposts of the standard of, of USC football so far that I just don't think – I was talking to Taylor Mays and he was like, BYU stormed the field because they beat USC. That's because they know what USC is. But do these coaches know what USC football is? You know, it's – I just think that if they came out and had more of a Nick Saban attitude of – this is unacceptable. I think it would at least sit a little bit better with the fan base. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, 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 it's like, for example, uh, when Clancy told us, you know, it wasn't really like giving up yards when it was the quarter, when you missed tap, tackles on the quarterback or when he was one piling up those yards. That's not really the same thing as not, you know, keeping him in check uh, with your run defense. Yes, it is. Doesn't matter. And so to say, oh, this was a non conference loss, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. Matters a lot. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, it eliminated you from the playoffs. Okay? You run the table. You still probably won't get there. That matters. Stuff like that matters. Losses matter. Yeah. You, you can't say it didn't really matter. Yeah, that's what... And we're built for this. We're built to overcome <laughs> this adversity. Oh, yeah. God. You don't want to be a team built to lose to BYU. That's what the fans aren't going to like that. All right, we got a lot more questions to get to. I want to let you know, but there's a big game coming up on Friday. I want you to know about SeatGeek. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? Uh, it's as if they're so big, they can just get away with not caring about customer experience. So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events that you want? Hello, status quo. The real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared SeatGeek does. With millions of live events, tickets, and price match guarantees, SeatGeek proves there's a better way. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. The industry for ticket sales tends to stagnate. SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. So you guys know. USC and Utah coming up. You got to make sure you get to the game. You can get a ticket for this game on SeatGeek right now for as cheap as $18. So crazy. I have an app on my phone. I just pulled it up. You can go look all throughout the Coliseum, all the new seats, and pick which one you want, and you can kind of value out. I want to sit here versus how much it costs. So 
all that good stuff, all wound in the app. They make it really easy to find the seats you want and buy them. And SeatGeek's going to give you $10 off your first experience at first purchase at SeatGeek. All you got to do is use our promo code USC. So download SeatGeek, download the app to your phone, use promo code USC, and you'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. All right. It's a mouthful. You want to do it? I was just thinking, uh, oh. I was just thinking with SeatGeek, maybe you can uh, you know, get real lucky and uh, get a seat near where uh, Reggie Bush and Urban Meyer are going to be uh, Friday night. So uh, what the heck? Take a shot. I'm take curious shot. how that's going to go. It, it shall be interesting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Where they're going to set them up. Uh, that, uh, I will guarantee you the section near where they're set up is going to be filled with people. Yeah, that's that's an easy guess. So we had a couple questions about uh, the overtime play calling. Uh, so we had two questions. So first off from L.A. Fred, he says, I have just one question. On the third and six in overtime, Slovis decides to throw over the middle into a crowd to Drake London. London ran a four-yard slant route and stopped where he did. Even if the pass is completed, which is a severe long shot, at best it would have made it a fourth and two. Why the F are we running a stop route two yards shy of the first down? This has Helton written all over it. The entire game BYU is taking away the middle. So why do we think in a critical situation with two freshmen involved, we can make it work? That was LA Fred. And then La Quinta Dan said, same old, same old, just another in an ever-growing list of games lost on horrible play calling. The final play call today was a gem. The brain trust came up with, let's throw the ball late over the middle with the hope that we can complete the pass short of the first down. Genius, just plain genius. Does anyone have Urban's phone number? That was LaQuinta Dan. Well, it's not like you're just calling one. It's not like it used to be where you're calling a particular pattern. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they called it a spacing play. And it obviously you, no one thought that Drake London was had any space and he obviously didn't have the first down. So <clears throat> they will admit that was a mistake. Okay. Not the play call necessarily. Uh, Graham said he liked the play call, but that part of the play, for example, if they have uh, as many as three defenders uh, for Drake London, that leaves you someplace where they don't have guys. And some place where uh, you might have been better off going. Did he have to throw it that quickly? I'm trying to remember. Um, obviously, he should have gone somewhere else. Um, obviously, they should, if you're going to run the ball twice, I don't know if you if you throw it on third down. Maybe you just run it again and, and kick the field goal instead of taking the chance of, of throwing the ball away. I mean, your 18-year-old quarterback had already thrown it away twice. So, uh, so I think – in in the sequence of all of, of that overtime, that was not the way to go. The two kind of uh, running plays that were, were probably not going to get you to where you wanted to be on third down, and then to throw the ball uh, into the middle of the line. That's just the whole thing didn't work. Graham said he really liked to play the plays and still would not second guess himself. So. I don't know what that means. Uh, I, I will second guess him. I just thought that was a bad way. I thought they should have taken a shot on first or second down uh, uh, to Pittman or Vaughn's or whatever, just to see what's available. And then, uh, then you make a decision on third down. But, uh, but I, I, you can't put yourself uh, in a situation where you don't get a chance to kick the field goal. Uh, and it's not the ideal thing to be playing for a tie on the road. Uh, 
but get to the second overtime as opposed to, um, you know, having the game end right there. But, um, but I thought you needed to try to win the game on the first couple of plays and, uh, and they did not. So we have multiple questions from Matt and Ann Arbor, so we can go kind of rapid fire here. He says, on offense, I seem, oh. to re- I seem to recall without looking it up that Mike Leach's quarterbacks tend to get hurt a lot in the air raid system, particularly at Washington State. Does having a system like this tend to put the QB in harm's way more than other systems? I worry that if Keaton goes down, we literally would only have Matt Fink. I'm sure teams are going to start dialing up crazy blitz packages to try and rattle Slovis in the coming weeks if he continues to develop. Also, if that's the case, how do we offset aggressive DCs in the coming weeks? I don't think a lot of the guys got hurt. I mean, you, you got Gardner Minshew and Luke Falk starting in the NFL right now. So, and Luke Falk was a former walk-on. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't remember a lot of guys getting hurt at Washington State. Do you, Dan? Or no? I mean, we, the one kid against USC who just got crushed. But uh, and we were there for the game. If you remember that horrible weather game, and then why can't I think of that kid's name? Uh, uh, Halloway or something like that. And that, that's when Luke Falk came in and replaced him. Uh, and that, and they got they got crushed by USC. But Luke Falk became a a fixture. But that that kid's name, man, uh, blonde haired kid, big tall kid, uh, and he he I don't know that he ever played again. But when you look at it, uh, uh, Graham Harrell didn't get hurt. He broke the you know set the NCAA record for touchdowns. Uh, uh, a lot of you know, uh, air raid guys. I don't I don't know that they've had uh, special trouble. I mean, they're going to get hit because if you're throwing the ball. 40, 50 times a game, we haven't seen that yet. But if that happens, yeah, they're going to try to come get you without a doubt. And you want to be able to get rid of the ball quickly. And that's a big part of the air raid. And and if you're not getting rid of the ball quickly, uh, you're going to be in, in some danger. So I think, again, you know, they're pleased with the offensive line uh, keeping the quarterback up. You know, up. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure everybody agrees that, that they're doing as, as as completely solid a job as, as USC says they're doing. But uh, but I think, uh, yeah, and I, I don't think Matt Fink is the worst possible option here either. I think, uh, I, think you know, I don't know that it would even have been a, a, the wrong thing to, to have him ready to go, you know, Saturday and after a couple of early interceptions, just, uh, you know, if you're not going to use the kid in the air raid, which they, they kind of didn't do in, in the second half in the overtime. Maybe you're better off with uh, with uh, shared duties. You know, I don't know if that would be the worst. Most of the time people will tell you if you got two quarterbacks, you got none. But uh, uh, it might be a way to, to really have Matt Fink ready to go. The, other, the thing that would have been good, say he was in the game in the second half, is he will take off with the ball. And if you're dropping eight uh, – and you've only got three, you know, coming, and there were three big guys. Uh, that might have been the missing element in that uh, in that game uh, with uh, Matt Fink's ability to take off and run the ball. So I don't know if if some of that starts to play out the rest of the year, where you try to have uh, a couple of options at quarterback. More questions from Matt. He says, on defense, are we vulnerable to the run on the edge because our defensive ends? are more pass-rushing specialists. I seem to recall teams starting to figure out that they should run right at Rector's side a lot last year, for instance. Is Clancy's system vulnerable in that way? We did better against Stanford on the edge last week, but I felt like that was more because the linebackers were being brought to the edge, which probably makes us vulnerable in the pass game, right? Yeah, I like the way the linebackers play uh, play the run going to the edge, if they're going to be the support guys. 
that doesn't always help you if they're running some kind of an option where somebody's got to make a decision. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're a big pass rusher, uh, a lot of people think the way to, uh, uh, go against a, a big time pass rusher is to run right at him. Uh, and so that's what teams are doing and trying to, you know, make you a little vulnerable on, on the edge. So, uh, yeah, I think they do need to figure out with this personnel group and these uh, alignments, what are they going to do uh, to defend the edge better? They have to start doing that. They better do it Friday night because you got Tyler Huntley, the quarterback, who's a legitimate dual threat, uh, big time dual threat, and then you got Zach Moss. And uh, man, those guys will eat you up if uh, if you really don't, you know, have some sort of containment situation working for them. And then you got to tackle them. And that's uh, another part of it. Even if you uh, you know, get a line correctly and you play it correctly, you still have to finish the play. And we've seen you know a lot of times that they're just not quite capable of, of making that last uh, you know finishing move and and taking somebody down in space. And then final question from Matt. He says, also, what is up with Tyler Vaughn's weird body language when he fakes the punt return? Um, any case, thanks for your great work, Matt in Ann Arbor. I think he's trying to, you know, sucker people and make it look like a he's either not going to catch it. He's really confident in his hands, so I don't think he has to be uh, totally in that ready position to catch the ball. So he's tried, but he doesn't have that big burst, and so he's not going to just uh, you know, escape people. And so I think he's kind of hoping that maybe he'll get one or two of them to run by him, thinking he's going to fair catch it uh, because he's relaxed and what have you. Uh, he doesn't seem to quite have the speed to get away from people uh, when he does that. But uh, I think that's his thought there. Is, I know I can catch it and maybe I'll catch you uh, thinking I'm just going to fair catch it or I'm not going to try to return it and uh, hoping that'll give him a jump on, uh, on the cover guys. All right. Here's a voicemail question. Another one. Hi, this is Paul from central Virginia. I was just listening to tunnel vision. Uh, what I keep hearing uh, over and over uh, is that the issues that we are seeing in these games, and particularly the game that we just had last week uh, in losing to BYU, is that uh, we don't see any changes from last year. Uh, we see a, a, the fact that they aren't tackling and they don't tackle in practice. We see the fact that uh, the opposing coaches, who are not coaches of, of uh, uh, one of the power conferences, but uh, secondary coaches, you might say, of secondary teams, are out coaching our coaches. I don't hear that that actually being said. Now, I've been a supporter of Clay Helton, and I think he's a really nice guy, but the really the bottom line is we are being out-coached every week. We're being out-practiced every week. The decision has to be made. He has got to go. This is not the person to be coaching USC, which what, what should be one of the best teams year in, year out in the country. It's time to make a change. We don't need to wait for them to lose to Utah. We don't need to wait for them to lose to Washington. We don't need for them to lose 
to uh, Notre Dame, uh, it's time for a change. You didn't seem very, well, uh, seemed, uh, like, back away uh, from the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. Well, there, there, there's definitely no question mark at the end of Paul's uh, uh, comment. Uh, that, that's just, uh, that's a statement. And uh, I think it's interesting. Another uh, East Coast guy. I don't know what happened, uh, Virginia guy. Uh, Maybe because the game was early, the, uh, they could all watch it. So they, it wasn't like a 7.30 game. They could true. all, yeah. Uh, man, that's a bit, and a previous caller was from uh, Ann Arbor. I mean, basically every one of those are Eastern time, Eastern time zone. So uh, that's impressive. Anyway, I like that. Uh, so that's the good news. And I guess uh, <laughs> Friday we're starting at 9 o'clock, so uh, it's not too bad. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Paul, just you said it. I mean, it's uh, – you don't want to have the sense that you're getting out coached by, you know, Kalani Shataki or whoever. I mean, you just, you don't, I mean, that's not, that's not USC football. I mean, let's face it. When USC has great coaches, they win national championships. It's that simple. And then when they don't, they, you know, have a decade like the nineties and they go, what the heck did we just do? But, um, um, uh, Probably the, the lesson for USC is only a great coach will do. And it's, uh, I think that it's pretty, you just look at their history and uh, you're a great coach, you win national championships at USC. Yeah. And that, you would guess that's probably bouncing around Urban Meyer's head. Yes. We have an email from First Lieutenant Jeff Wu. He says, Dan, is it just my emotions messes, messing with me while watching the game, trying not to curse in front of my daughters? Or are the, tra- are, are the Trojans playing either half uh, butt or out of control? I censored him. He's half-assed. Uh, like, half-assed. Okay, I didn't know. Uh, First Lieutenant Jeff Wu, U.S. Army veteran and USC class of 94. Thanks for your service, Jeff. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Very much so. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, it, it just didn't look right. I, and I, you know, Ken and I have talked about this. I'm a big body language guy, and they just weren't. They weren't both things. They weren't really up into it, but they also weren't um, totally under control. I mean, it's just it, it was like a weird place that they were, and, and we see this, and it's not easy to. And, and yet, is it a just a, a carryover from you play like you practice? I mean, we can't say that enough, and. Um, the difference in, you know, when you get to Saturday or Friday, that other team isn't necessarily playing like the guys you practice against. Uh, so there's a big adjustment, it looks like. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and it's, let's say two of the three games USC's played this year, they don't look ready to play. And the other team looked more ready to play than USC was. That's not good. I'm sorry. That's not good. We have a, positive email from Alex in LA he says I just finished watching the BYU game and while I'm certainly upset we lost I think overall the team showed a lot of fortitude in this game putting a freshman QB in that environment is never going to be easy but the team fought hard and never gave up that's something to build on many people took last week's win over Stanford as a signal that USC was back and ready to contend for national title clearly that's not the case but I'm far more interested in watching how the season progresses now than when it when it first started I like Coach Graham Harrell's system, and with more experience under his belt, Keaton Slovis will win these games down the stretch. What do you think? Fight on, Alex in L.A. Yeah, I think Alex that 
that game was certainly winnable. I mean, he, of all the things that went wrong, if one fewer of those went wrong, they win the game. That's where, you know, when they say uh, they made one more play than we did. No, you, you made too many mistakes. Uh, you make one fewer mistake and you probably win the game. Uh, there's no, no question about it. It goes into overtime. You didn't have to do a whole lot better than that. And yeah, everybody's you know, singing a different tune today. But that's what I know Clay Helton has said this more than once. They pay us to win football games. And that's a game when you have a winnable game like that, you really got to win it. And you really got to win it when you're coming off a five and seven season. And you really got to win it when you're going into a streak where you're playing Utah, Washington, and uh, Notre Dame on the road. You just, you got to do that. And, and that didn't happen. And so that sense of you can tell yourself all you want. Oh, you're really good. Oh, you're going to be good. Oh, you're going to come back from this. Oh, everything's going to be fine. They, you know, winning that game would have said that more than saying it. Saying it is, for, you know, so what? To coin a phrase that USC likes, so what? Whatever you say. Um, you got to win those games. That was a winnable game. It was a necessary game. It was a game that Clay needed. It was a game that this team needed, and they didn't get it done. It's kind of like, uh, if you remember, I forget what year it was, but Florida won the national championship. Uh, Tim Tebow was the quarterback, and they lost, like, Miss, Mississippi State or something. I can't remember who they lost to. but And he gave that speech about, you know, no, you're not going to see anyone fight harder. No, anyone play harder than us. And they went on, and they won every game, and they won the national championship after that. That, to me, was sort of like, that's five and seven. Like, the Florida was a big favorite and lost to some whoever it was in the SEC. And then... You get on the stage and you're like, hey, Ole this Miss, is never all miss. This is never happening again. We're gonna win the rest. And then you go out and lose like the next game. And basically what you know USC did by losing the BYU, you can't go back and go, okay, we're gonna it's like it's already done. Like you you get one of those. And I think after five and seven, you get one of those. You don't get to go back after BYU and have excuses of why, oh, this team is really close and we love the way that's built. It's like, no, this if it, if you loved all those things, you would have won this game. No questions asked. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Sorry. Yeah, it's what you do. <laughs> it's what you do. It's what you do in practice every day. It's what you do in, on Saturday or Friday or whatever. And it's not anything you say. Yeah. If like Tebow would have went out and lost like two games later, no one would have listened to him anymore, but they kept winning. And so that was like, this was Clay's chance. Like you had to go out and you had to at least win the, the winnable games. You can't lose to BYU. All right, here's a last voice. Uh, oh. That bugs me because that is the team that beat USC out for the to a place in the championship game against Oklahoma, I guess, and USC would have beat either of those teams. USC also had a uh, the Oregon State game, I guess it was, and turned out to probably be a better loss than, than Florida's. But, uh, but the committee went with Florida, and uh, that's a year that, that a national championship that probably USC – could have or should have, but didn't have. Yeah. Uh, all right, here's a last voicemail for you. Yes, good evening, guys. It's Johnny from Nashville, Tennessee, once again. Uh, I'm just I'm just leaving Provo, Utah, watching the watch the game against um, BYU, and uh, very disappointed. Uh, throughout the whole game, I didn't see the momentum that USC had from last week against Stanford. Um, 
yes, they scored early in the first half, in the first quarter, but once again, I needed to see more from USC as far as um, what they're going to continue, which it didn't. I was expecting USC to pull away from BYU at some point. That didn't happen. So going forward, um, I'm not sure. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Clay Helton, uh, but right now there's no AD. So it's just it looks like another year, another, another year like last year, uh, maybe seven and five or six and six. What are your thoughts, guys? Thank you. Fight on. Well, talking about how it's going to end, I see two uh, updated bowl projections, and one of them doesn't have USC in the in a bowl game for the Pac-12. Man, that's just has Cal in there, has uh, Arizona State in there. Uh, I'm trying to think who else has Colorado in there. Now I saw a second one today where USC's in there, the last team in, but they get to go to the. Uh, Las Vegas Bowl uh, against Boise State. So, I don't know. Uh, it's crazy to right now be thinking, can USC get to be six and six? Uh, you know, I mean, let's face it. For, for somebody who, you know, picked them to go 10 and two, and, and one of the reasons you do is, I don't want to lower expectations for a team that's, you know, on one uh, measure is fourth best talent in the country. Another measure, they're sixth best talent in the country and they're USC. You don't want to say, Oh yeah, if they get a winning record or if they didn't, no, they ought to be, they ought to be 10 and two. Doesn't mean they're going to be, or they ought to learn from last year or they ought to learn, you know, some lessons on how to coach college football. But apparently if that doesn't happen, and now we're talking about are they going to be five and seven or six and six? Um, you know, there's still the talent is still there. I, you know, obviously, if JT Daniels is still healthy, uh, they win that game. They probably wasn't any way they could they could blow the game at uh, at Brigham Young, but uh, but he's not, and so that's that's going to make things a little more difficult, you know, in terms of record. But uh, but there are a lot of other problems, you know, besides the quarterback, and uh, so. That we're even talking about where this is going to end is uh, after three games is uh, is is kind of disappointing. Yep. Let's end the show with an email from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He says, wow, what a difference a week makes. We found out that neither Stanford nor Fresno State is very good, so our wins are not as good as we thought, especially against Stanford. Who is calling the plays on offense? Why does Slovis use all 40 seconds in the second half play calling after looking to the sidelines? I thought that the QB is in control of the play calling. This game was our Clay Helton reality check. Clay is not taking any responsibility for the conduct of the game. Was the team prepared to play it at that altitude? Are defenders taught tackling techniques? They grab, reach, and don't use their legs to contain. Is it just me? But is the switch in inside the switch in assignments at linebacker putting John Houston in the middle a bust because Clancy didn't like Palaie's aggressiveness in the middle where he has the size to plug up the middle and not leave a huge empty space for running QB. We need a great AD and fast so that he or she can hire a great head coach who will win in turn and in turn hire a great staff who likes to recruit. Better keep fingers crossed that Bryce Young doesn't decommit and that more players don't follow Devin Williams, Jack Sears, and Alawale Batiku into the transfer portal. Fight on, even in frustration. Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, Dan. Uh, there are some negative consequences uh, out there for, for not 
not being prepared and not, not, not winning games you should win. Um, and, and it happens early enough in the season. Uh, I mean, that's where you probably can't get too excited about who you just beat or, or whatever, because you really don't know, uh, did you accomplish much or, or not? All you can do is, is measure yourself against what you could be. Are you where you can be? You know, it, and I, I mean, I don't think the, I like the offensive line in terms of potential, but I don't think they're where anywhere near where they need to be or where they could be telling them how good they're doing. And, and when you talk to them, they really believe that. I don't know that that gets you where you want to go. Uh, I think they got to, they've got to you know, be pushed and they've got to develop that and they've got to play physical every day in practice and uh, they got to compete every day in practice. And if you don't, for example, you say, well, we're not going to announce the depth chart till Friday, but if you don't do anything uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, that will change the depth chart or will have guys compete for other people's jobs. It almost, it doesn't matter if you're not releasing the depth chart until Friday, all that does is make it harder to print up the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the light, the depth, you know, charts and all the, all the other things, uh, you need for the game, but it doesn't change the mentality of the team. So, uh, I think practice is so important with this team with, uh, you know, they're kind of still a little bit young and developing and they've got to be ready to play, uh, on Saturday or Friday. And, uh, I'm not sure we're seeing that, uh, like we need to see. And, uh, uh, that's a problem. Yeah. All right. Well, that's quite a bit. There was a lot of uh, a lot of questions. Yeah, we have some that will go in the solo pod. Oh, so Keely's dumping them off to me. No. So. Yeah. So we'll. Uh, I'll have uh, Dan Sorensen on this week. Uh, I think it'll be Wednesday. So what's today? Tuesday. So it'll be tomorrow. So he's the publisher of the Ute Zone. So we'll have him on a podcast, and I'll answer the rest of the questions myself. I'll do my best. Um, maybe go on a few rants, you know, have some fun stuff. We'll have, are we doing a, uh, family feud podcast this week? We are. Of course we are. Nice. Family feud podcast will be a little bit later this week as well. And our, so this week, our, uh, pre the Peristyle pregame show, because it's a Friday game will be Thursday at 11 PM on KABC radio. We'll also put it up as a podcast on this plat, you know, wherever you're listening to your, this podcast, you will get the Peristyle pregame show. So it's great for day, game day listening. We'll have interviews from practice from players, coaches. Uh, we have our uh, Chris Trevino giving his uh, five predictions for the game. We'll have, of course, Taylor Mays uh, on there, the uh, former All-American at USC. So he has a lot of really good insight and uh, great stuff. So hopefully you guys check that out. It's a, it's an hour show, actually about 50 minute show. Um, so check that out uh, as part of your little podcast listening uh, rotation, Dan. Uh, I guess we'll see you out of practice a little bit later on today. Uh, curious yeah, to see. we will. Well, we'll see, we'll see you before and after practice, anyway. Yeah, at least. Well, you know, in the media room for practice or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While they're doing yeah. whatever they're doing, we'll be you know busy working or you know doing our thing. Um, I think I'm on. I'm on two different. Uh, there's so much interest in you. I think I'm doing two different. Uh, one serious uh, radio deal and one podcast today. I, I, I just uh, people want to know what's going on at USC. Yeah, so, yeah, it's always. So at least I'll like have that. time to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You have some time. 
All right, we're going to wrap it up uh, from here. Thanks so much, everyone, to listening to the Peristyle Podcast. That's Keely Yord, Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. We will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.